0: I took the time.
1: Another public service announcement from Brill Cream.
0: Finally, someone has reinvented the wheel. Hey,
2: uh, you tuned into the ravings of a clown on Just Radio. <laughs> Don't
0: argue with the ball. Roger. will go. It's as good as done.
1: The complete solution for your home PC.
3: Don't need, no water, let the motherfucker burn. Burn, motherfucker, burn.
2: Oh, and welcome to the shoes. Hey, good evening, welcome to the Ravings Hello, of a Clown on Just Radio Jimmy. this Wednesday, I'm March dumb the
3: 22nd, here by Lord
2: middle, 2006, greetings, like welcome, come on I in, sit down, so make yourself younger, to home, put your feet up, put your head back, but you have head back permission for the full duration of the show. Shadow Man, I'm hung like Planet Pluto, hard to see with the naked eye, if I don't crash into Uranus... <laughs> the sun shine, this is the best line.
3: Kind
2: of like Solo, Here it
0: comes. on,
2: Alright, that's enough of fire. that, Bob. 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 Hey, welcome the to the up. show. Put your feet up, put your head back. Such a show as Grandma Jester used to say. Hanging behind the glass with the Lord of Sin. Yo, Lordy! Yo! Lordy! Ow! As Bessie used to say. And S. Poe. Good evening, Mr. Poe. Hey, good evening, Jester. How you doing, bud? I'm doing pretty good. Long time no see. I know. I traveled all the way up to a place outside my universe. You know, we use a special technology here to enable us to communicate directly with planet Earth. It's something Bob the Engineer developed many years ago. It's exclusive. It's called R-R-L-C. Do you know about this, Poe? Nope. It stands for really, really long cable. Oh, that was that thing that was in the front door? That was that big, thick thing that pretty much runs through the whole place. And that's how we get our signal here from a secret location outside your universe to the uh, homeland.
4: Yeah, well...
2: And we used a similar method to transport you. I hope you didn't mind being shackled and blindfolded. I understand. Yeah. Because otherwise we'd have to kill you. Yeah. No, It's not worth it. But normally you're from uh, the northeast uh, of uh, the United States, uh, w- thereabouts. Yeah, New York. And uh, you're pretty much, uh, it's still winter up there, isn't it?
4: Uh, yeah, we got winter, actually, first day of spring, probably. I'm sure you celebrated it by playing. We only that.
2: have one season here actually
4: where at this universe
2: yeah we only have the one season yeah well i was gonna let it's you feel on the joke it's, it's beautiful there's no joke it's 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 beautiful uh perfect weather 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 days a year it's ideal weather so this is one of the reasons uh-huh. we moved here you know how like why people move to california or <laughs> well, the weather because of the weather <laughs> I brought a sweater just in case. I see. Well, keep it in the luggage. And uh, such a playlist we have for you this evening. We're going to look at the grand old tradition of uh, radio broadcast and otherwise. And what a kind of unique thing it is that uh, we sit around and listen to other people talk, <laughs> play music. I was doing it ever since I was a kid. I was fascinated by DJs. And I grew up uh, in New York, around uh, the same place that uh, S. Poe did. And I grew up listening to, uh, at first, of course, my station was CBS. Cousin Brucey. Was that your station? Uh, ABC, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, ABC was the other guys. But CBS was Cousin Bruce Morrow, and of course, Danny Dan Daniel, and Harry Harrison, and... Dan Ingram. Dan Ingram, and... uh, (laughs) They all had that little song. Yeah,
4: everyone got a song.
2: (laughs) And they had tons of echo. I thought
4: that was the most amazing thing about this show is that you didn't immediately have yourself do the heavy echo. The jester.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Every time you want to start (laughs) talking. But that cousin Bruce Morrow, man, he was some kind of like almost robotic, plastic human being. He was the most friendly. Uh, Good evening and welcome. And he always played these amazing oldies. And he knew every tiny little detail about all the tunes, you know. But he was, like, fantastically obnoxious. And then, of course, when we got a little older, I switched over to... L.I.R. No, not me. 99X. No, yeah, P.L.J. And um, W.N.E.W. Oh, yeah, Pete Fornatelle and all those guys. Yeah, Scott Muni and Allison Steele, The Nightbird, and Vince Skelsa, and Roscoe. And that's, by the way... Remember I used to sign off with uh, Remember I sure do love you so that was what Roscoe used to oh, say. Oh
4: really? Yeah. No idea.
2: Vince yeah. Kelsey started every show with it that um like Dorothy Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore.
4: Right. And
2: and then there was Dave Herman, he had the right. um uh, that that Sunday morning breakfast basket or some shit like that. And he played, you know, like extended length tunes he'd, on Sunday yeah, morning. Yeah, he would play only Springsteen most of the time. <laughs> Or like, you know, fourteen minute Hendrix tunes. So yeah, I grew up on that shit and the and the way that I always pictured the DJs and the what what I saw, I went in with Johnny Klein uh-huh. to go see CBS. His mother, remember, was a school teacher. And she said, Oh, you boys love the radio. You should go in and visit a radio station, and they'll give you a tour and we were like, What? And we went on a fucking train, went into Manhattan, you know, we're probably like thirteen years old and we went up to CBS and his mother had made a reservation for us for a tour and it just fucking blew my mind And the way you know we saw the freeform radio worked was the dj would come to work like a half hour early he'd go into the fucking library room and he'd pull the shit off the albums that he was thinking about on his way into work that day and he'd hand them to the fucking engineer with little labels saying cut 1 cut 7 cut 9 whatever the engineer would queue him up in that order, and he would talk however fucking long he wanted to, and then when he gave the high sign to Bob, the engineer, he'd start the fucking tune. He'd talk right into the fucking tune, right, right to the ten minutes, right, right, to, the right very to the very first vocal. syllable, <laughs> yeah. exactly, and uh, hitting the post. Yeah, hitting the fucking post, and he would talk about three thousand fucking miles an hour, and always say cool, interesting shit. Yeah, a lot, a lot of rhymes. Yeah, a lot of rhymes. That's right. And, um, and, the, and then, of course, came the playlists, you know, the corporate playlists, where uh, these executives would hand down these playlists, and they would say, you'd have to pay these, play these 14 songs in this hour. And the DJ said, well, then we, we can't talk. And they said, yeah, the 14 songs, you know, in the hour. And that's so, rough. Freeform Radio was... Right. That's why you're listening to The Jester. That's why you listen to Jester Radio, because we don't don't need no stinking badges. Am I just a miscreation? No one knows the truth. There is no future here. Dar Williams on Jester Radio. Please don't fuck with that dial. You're listening to the ravings of a clown coming to you from a secret location outside your universe.
5: Another voice that I was just too late and just no good.
2: DJ, to play what you want to play and say what he wants to say. Tom Petty on Just Radio, Dar Williams, before that, are you out there? Can you hear this? Jimmy Olsen, Johnny Memphis. I was out here listening all the time. And though the static walls surround you, I was out here. And I found you. I was out here listening all the time all the time that's the way we were when we were kids we were listening man these fucking people were uh
4: they were the link to something outside our home
2: yeah man and they were a link to the you know i think uh this great intelligence attached with music it was such a uh you know potent combination of talk and music I remember when I was uh, probably maybe in fifth or sixth grade, I went into the library in school, and a teacher walked up to me, was not even my teacher, and she said, you know what, uh, little jester? She called me that. That's what they called me back then, you remember. She said, I know you love music. You should come over here. I have a book just for you. And she pulls out a book, and it's called turn up the music, I can't hear the words. Ew. I'm telling you, this was maybe, whatever, (laughs) 1967 or 69 or something. And she said, um, this is a book about how now all the music means something. You know, like from her era, (laughs) all the music was, you know, beep, beep, the horn went beep, beep, (laughs) beep, you know, or fucking who put the Benzedrine and, uh, you know. This is Murphy's Ovaltine. Yeah. So the music, the lyrics didn't mean a fuck. They were just sort of like, you know, funny, punchy rhyme, you know, that sort of didn't have Uh, any meaning. Anybody could sing the song. And now these songwriters came along, singer-songwriters had come along in the 60s, and the words they were writing was cool shit. And this book was about this, like, new revolution in music where the words started to count. And in the book was, like, Eve of Destruction, you know, and a couple of these tunes yeah and Maybe one or two by bob dylan maybe one or two by the jester himself and of course blowing in the wind was in it i think it was the first song in the book and um i just it just fucking blew my mind you know i was thinking man wow there's a, this great music it really you know uh just absolutely gripped me by the gizzard and just uh, really spoke to me that there were these guys out there thinking these heavy thoughts that were not just what i was thinking but better than what i was thinking they were thinking you know they were older and much smarter and they were contributing so much to the to the to the body of uh, of of philosophy, you know, and th- and thought out there. Stuff that they weren't quite teaching you in your classroom. Shit that they were te- that they were purposely not teaching me in the classroom. They were particularly leaving out, specifically right. leaving out. Right. You knew
4: something was going on, but you had no access to it. You knew that whatever they were
2: feeding you couldn't be it. You know that line from a ballad of a thin man. Do you, Mister Jones? So you, something is happening here, but you don't know what it is.
4: <clears throat> yeah.
2: So I think that uh, really, you know, sparked. And then I used to go down to the workshop, my dad's workshop, in the garage, which was the only, you know, place, to, you know, like far away enough from everybody that was sleeping, so that I could turn up the radio, and I would sit there in the freezing fucking gar- in the workshop. And listen to, you know, Alex Bennett at two o'clock in the morning. And he was fucking unbelievable. And people would call him up and he would he would go into the studio and he would sit down and he would do 20 minutes on a, on how the size of the fucking Coke bottles are down to like eight ounces, like uh. these teeny, mini, teeny, tiny bottles. And he's like, when the fuck did they start selling <laughs> soda, man? I'm not even. I'm thirstier when I'm fucking done drinking this thing. And he goes on and on about this fucking thing, and then some guy calls up like twenty, you know, twenty minutes later or something. And of course, within three seconds, they get into a fucking bloodthirsty <laughs> argument. You know, <laughs> Alex Bennett just disagreed with everybody, and he done it. He did it in the most casual, blase way that it just drove people absolutely bonkers. No matter out of what fucking, they said, he would disagree. No matter what to say, he would not only disagree, but he would say, oh, of course, your mother was obviously a prostitute to say <laughs> such a fucking thing, you retard. And the guy would say, you know what you could do with that fucking eight-ounce <laughs> bottle of Coke? And he'd say, well, I can get a five-cent deposit on this one. You know, he was like the smoothest fucking dude, you know? And he wasn't phased at all by people. And I thought to myself, man, this is fucking entertainment. I I don't even want to see. You know, people always talk about how, you know, the radio, why do people listen to the radio when there's TV? But you don't want to fucking see a guy sitting in the fucking studio. Yeah, it's such bullshit, Jesse. I don't even know why you think that you could say that to your audience. What a load of horseshit. You think so, really? I don't know. I'm getting it going. Oh, you're you're (laughs) baiting me. I see. (laughs) Fuck you. You fucking retard. Where'd you get that shirt? I'm not wearing a shirt. I was just up in the Yukon. I have several inches know, of insu- know, natural insulation. That was a fur shirt. No, that's just me. That's my yellow dress. <laughs> <laughs> what was that line you said from some like, ten-year-old show? Where I like, like uh, some old girlfriend calls me up or something, and she's like hot. She sends me a picture, and of course, here I am. <laughs> so oh, some yeah, of, oh, with the Jester's some, logo. 50 year old guy <laughs> with a beard and a yellow dress. <laughs> yeah, I so had no course, idea you actually looked like that. Plus, I had, didn't have as much to offer as what she did. I, had, I went through a lot more changes <laughs> since high school than most people. I turned into Mr. Natural. Yeah, you right. know, that was the original graphics of the website, was missed, Was all the R. Crumb art. I remember you as a
4: 10-year-old, Mr. Naturally, doing that truck and walk that's you know, right. down the bunk line that's of Camp right. Beaumont in that's, Maine.
2: That's right. <laughs> doing the keep on trucking, truck and <laughs> truck so, walk. You Somehow your foot actually so, got the bigger the stoners, closer you came. I know, the stoners. <laughs> the stoners would all get together and go, Hey, 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 Jester, get over here! Do the fucking truck and walk! <laughs> <laughs> no one else ever no one else I ever met ever did that impersonation no that was a unique thing <laughs> that was my specialty when i was 10 years old <laughs> so i was exposed to all that shit when i was very young you know i was reading neil's uh, uh zap comics you know yeah, your brothers yeah so
4: no, Bruce wrote his own comics. I don't know if you know that. No, I don't remember that. He used to be a Charlie Brown freak, my older brother. And uh so he wrote something called Charlie Walnuts. A comic strip about this, you know, bald, round headed kid. Was it funny? Uh I don't know, it was ambitious as hell. I don't really remember what kind of adventures he got into. How him. old was he? He was he was probably, uh, like, nine years old. Oh, really? Business of this store. You know, Colony stationery store? Yeah, of course. So Bruce didn't have any money, but he needed Peanuts Comics. So you know how they came in those, like, books? Yeah, and, sure. So he'd, like, stuff like five books Yeah, we had, like, pads, a million of them. And he'd run out, and he'd devour these Charlie Brown books. But, you know, and Bruce...
2: He, he, was, he felt very he guilty. He felt very
4: guilty, and he bothered him for about 20 years. So he went back to the guy... 20 years later wow. and told him this story about how he never got over stealing the books and he'd like to pay for them now and the guy says all right give me the money you uh, know, he didn't appreciate the story at
2: all <laughs> <laughs> but but was it the same owner yeah same fucking guy of colony candy store yeah no shit yeah. i thought he was the same owner when we were kids for like 50 years before that
4: yeah, I think he died as soon as he got the money I see
2: <laughs> Otherwise there'd be some kind of Twilight Zone episode involved there You Remember that one? Walking Distance? No Where he goes back to his childhood town And the, the same Jimmy guy Stewart. And the same guy is like the, You know, is behind the counter, you know And the, and the Sunday ice cream sundaes are a dime, you know He's Saying The same shit he did <laughs> back then Yeah, everything's exactly the same Man, yeah, what was the big twist? You know, there's always a twist at the end of every Twilight Zone. That's the trademark of the format. And on that one, it turns out that you can't go home. It was called Walking Distance, and he stopped at a, at, at a gas station like a half a mile away from this town. And as he walked into the town, apparently he went back in time. And he saw himself yeah. as a little kid, and I don't know he went back to his mother and father and said that, and somehow convinced them it was really him. He showed him his driver's license, and, and he dropped his wallet, and he ran away, and his father caught up with him, and he goes, "Look, I looked in your wallet, you know, and the money there was from a date you know yeah. that hasn't happened yet for 25 years." And he goes, "I don't know where the fuck you come from that sucks so bad, but this is his summer, you know, your past." So this is what made life great for you. Don't fuck it up for him. Ah. That was the twistage. And then he walked back to the fucking, you know, uh, uh, some other part of the story happens where the kid falls on a uh, off a merry-go-round and, you know, like bruises his leg. And then he walks back to the gas station at the end of the story and he's got a little limp. Uh. And the guy says, uh, you know, uh, what happened to your leg? And he says, ah, a little accident when I was a kid, you know, on a merry-go-round or something. No, I got to chill. Yeah, I'm getting all misty as we speak. Yeah, that that's happened to me so many fucking times. I know, I hate when that happens. So we're talking about the radio this evening and this amazing effect that it had on some of us when we were kids. And now, of course, this is the whole point behind Jester Radio is to sort of... Uh, um, you know, bring back this uh, great uh, um, honorable form of a- entertainment, communication of course, you know, we usually talk about what's going on in the world so we keep you informed lots of folks tell us all the time that we're their primary source of news one of our uh, oldest uh, listeners, uh, DJ Keith, who is a real DJ at a, at a radio station in the southeast um says that uh, the jest uh, ravings of a clown is the best fucking thing on the air. He says it's news with cursing. That's how he always promotes it to people. You know how they have the news with uh, nudity? With naked ladies, you, yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, man, that is great. <laughs> they got my fucking attention. I'm like, yeah, yeah, Iran, Iran, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah I Bush, never cared Bush. about Bosnia so much. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I can't wait till they get to the, you know. <laughs> the truce. If I was had a good joke there, that would be so great. wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, Woody Allen would come up with something right there. Couldn't yeah, wait till they got to the Chechnya. Je- no, just
4: do uh, what Rick Shapiro does. What does he do?
2: Punchline! <laughs> <laughs>
4: Are you allowed to do that? He, he I laugh every time <laughs> he says it. <laughs> I didn't realize that
2: was a way of getting yeah. out of having no punchline. Well, yeah,
4: he, his the big laugh was in the middle of the joke. And he, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he wandered on for a little while longer.
2: <laughs> realized I was going now, no What's place. that called when a comedian says a joke, he already starts getting a laugh, and then he adds another zinger in? Oh, uh, yeah. There's a word for that. We were talking about words today for, like, uh, double spit take and double <laughs> yeah, take or the slow uh, burn. Slow burn. And all the, you know, different moves that, uh, you know, Shemp and Curly did <laughs> and shit back in the day. So what's that called when they do that? I know there's a word for that.
4: Uh, I forgot While the While the audience
2: is laughing, you give it another zinger. Like you go, "I, I you know, yeah. I couldn't believe it, you know, or something. <laughs> you, you make it funnier yeah. by adding another little sentence, you know. Paul oh. Reiser does that all the time. Yeah, well, I wish
4: I could help you out with his word. In the uh, in the mood by Glenn Miller. It's doesn't like a even false ri- ending. Doesn't even ring a bell. Well, it's not really the, a the false only, ending. No, no, the it's ending. the opposite. But uh, I'm thinking the only word that's coming to my mind is a la mode," and you, you can understand why I'm not saying anything. No,
2: I could understand. All right, <laughs> oh, I could understand. I'm not sure why you did eventually bring it up. Uh, I figured someone was going to laugh. Other than to experience the deep shame. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but we're laughing at you. No. <laughs> At, at me, I just <laughs> so uh. so anyway, this radio thing. I think um, it's it's sort of coming back, don't you think? Uh, yeah. Have you uh, been listening to Howard Stern on Sirius Radio? You know, I'm sorry to say I've only caught it once or twice. Um, as you know, I believe Howard Stern is God. Yeah. I do think he's probably one of the five funniest fucking people that ever walked the face of the earth.
4: Really? I don't think of him as so much as funny as just brilliant at what he does Both. and making a great he, show. He
2: is also brilliant, which I think is testimony to the fact that comics can be also good business people. But I also think he's, um, I think he really is brilliant. He's very spontaneous and very funny. And he subscribes to the kind of comedy which I endorse the the most, right? Which honesty. is the anything for a laugh <laughs> comedy.
4: He's got the great. Honesty it doesn't matter going. if
2: he's. It doesn't matter if he's you know, um, if he's saying the most outrageous or ridiculous fucking thing. If it's funny, he'll fucking say it. He knows what he's you know there. Right? For. Yeah,
4: there's, there's
2: absolutely no limit
4: to uh, what can happen. And of
2: course, that was the bone of contention with Infinity is not only was the radio getting more and more liberal and allowing more and more shit, but they were getting more and more conservative. And the jokes he was doing years ago, they were hitting the fucking button on him. He couldn't make a fart sound after a while. <laughs> Somehow
4: the country would fall apart if, if a fart sound came across the radio.
2: And you know, um, this of course is the crux of the matter, is that there is so much of this repression going on in the media now, of course, it's, Become uh, un-American or uh, unpatriotic to you know speak out against uh, you know what's happening in your country with your management with your government, and I can't think of anything more patriotic than doing that. Yeah, it's, it's exactly the definition it of America. Right, but didn't they do this in Vietnam also? Yeah, they did. I think any time a government does something that is against the will of the majority of the people, that they will strategize to hide it from the people rather than change their fucking ways. They have two choices. Either they can act like, you know, paid management, which is what they are, and carry out the will of the people, or they could say, you know what, I got here. I'll do any fucking thing I want. I know better than the people, and I'll just, uh, you know, keep it a fucking secret and lie to them about it. And make my own fucking narrow agenda that appeals to a tiny minority of special interests. Yeah. Go figure, people like that.
4: What, what makes someone want to be like that? Totalitarian. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's wrong with them?
2: I know exactly what's wrong with them. Is their own their ideas don't don't crystallize, don't gel inside themselves. They don't agree with their own ideas. So when people are in a situation like religion where people, everybody sort of feels like the emperor has no clothes, they're the only one who sees it and they don't want to say anything, they're thinking to themselves, geez, I don't know about, people flying airplanes into the fucking World Trade Center, priests fucking the fucking babies up the ass, Uh, uh, you know, I'm thinking about this God thing. This doesn't make fucking sense, but in order to support the bullshit, the myth, they have to get everybody around them to believe the same thing. This is the trick with religion. Well, I think that every human
4: being's goal, I believe, unconsciously is to just get as many people as they can to agree with them. That's what people are doing all day long.
2: Because by nature, we're insecure, and nothing makes us feel secure about our own ideas than Thinking somebody else thinks the same shit as us. Exactly. Really, nobody wants to think for themselves because it's, it's not safe. You sat out on a fucking branch and what if it, you know, destroys some previously set belief that you have? And suddenly you're not, maybe in disagreement with people you care about. And they'll look at you differently if you think a certain way. Think of all these children that are born, you know, to the, to the Ku Klux Klan people. And they're like, niggers are bad. And if you go, really, honey, why? And they go, of course, they're smelly. And then you go, well, have you ever actually smelled a nigger? No, but niggers are smelly. Niggers are bad. They just fucking chant this shit because then they don't even have a fucking
4: chance. Right. And turn on the radio, suddenly you get another thought
2: other than your father's retarded uh, musings. That was the thing that killed me about Alex Bennett because I never in my entire life, growing up on Long Island, going to fucking school and going to, you know, synagogue, I never in my entire fucking life heard anybody talk to another person like this. And this really fucking opened my eyeballs, really changed my fucking life. I was thinking, wow, people can just open their mouths and say any fucking thing that popped into their head. And not only is it. Not get beat up. And not only is it brilliant to listen to, but, oh my God, it's fucking hysterical. It's like being on a roller coaster ride. How fucking far are they going to go? What are they going to say fucking next? What, you know, amazing shit right. is going to. It's entertaining at the highest fucking level. Intellectual entertainment. Exactly. Where's this then,
4: brain going to take me next? It's popping all these thoughts at me. Like Who can tell?
2: And you know, man, what happened was, you know, eventually the fucking corporate, you know, uh, management, you know, caught wind of what was going on under their noses. And they said, you know, let's fucking, uh, you know, grind a buck out of it. We have all these kids tuning in, thinking we're the hippest, coolest fucking thing in the world. And they're, you know... Let's just fucking, you know, milk the dollars out of it. Of course, that's what they're in business to do, so. But since that time, you know, radio has pretty much sucked the beef.
4: Right. Well, that's why this is great again. You can get onto the internet.
2: Hello, honey. It's me. What did you think when you heard me back on the radio? What did the kids say when they knew it was their long-lost daddy-o? <laughs> Remember how we listened to the radio and I said, that's the place Hello, to
1: be. honey, it's me What did you think when you heard me back on the radio? What did the kids say when they knew it was their long-lost daddy Oh Remember how we listened to the radio and I said, that's the place to be and how I got the job as an FM job The day you married me It was two kids and I was into AM rock But I just had to run around It's been eight years since I left you, babe Let me tell you about what's gone down I am the morning DJ at WOL Whatever you may be The bright good morning voice Who's heard but never seen Feeling all the 45 Knowing I'm 15 The drinking I did on my last big gig It made my voice go low They said that they liked the young sound. When they let me go So I drifted on down to Tulsa, Oklahoma To do me a late night talk show Now I've worked my way down home again Here to Boise, Idaho That's how this business goes I am the morning DJ At W-O-L-D Playing all the hits for you Wherever you may be The bright good morning voice Who's heard but never seen Feeling all the 45 Going on 15 I'm a big-time guest MC You should hear me talking to the little children And listen what they say to me I got a spot on the top of my head Just begging for a new pay. There's a fire i from sitting on But it never goes Get this crazy dream that i just take off in my car But you can travel on 10,000 miles and still stay where you are Thinking that I should stop this jockey and start that record store Maybe I could settle down if you take me back once more Okay, honey, I see I guess he's better than me Sure, old girl, I understand You don't have to worry, I'm such a happy man Morning voice who's heard but never seen. Feeling all of forty five, going on fifteen. I am the morning.
2: Jefferson Airplane on Jester Radio, or whatever became of them, right? What was it? They went from Jefferson Airplane to Jefferson Starship to just finally Starship.
4: And then just a shit.
2: (laughs) And then puh. And that was, I think, their last redeemable tune because of the special effects. Marconi plays the mamba. Listen to the radio. Don't you remember? We built this city. We built this city on rock and roll tribute to the contribution of radio in the metropolizing America. Yeah. And, you know, helping to, you know, make a community out of millions of people, you know, a single voice. And millions of people tuning in and, you know, listening and scratching their noggins and phoning in and saying, hey, that's cool or, hey, that's bullshit. I remember uh, I was once on, you know, I remember all the different times I was on the radio, you know. All right, let's hear them. Well, I'm not going to say all of them, but one of them was when I called Alison Steele, the nightbird. What did she have in the background there? Was it like wind chimes She, she or played something? that flute, funky oh, yeah. ass flute music. And while she did, she would read some spacey, hippie-style poetry. She opened every show with this really sexy, you remember her voice. It was just mind-bogglingly sexy voice. And she recited this poetry, usually some kind of fucking, I don't even know what the hell it was. Did you ever try to interpret it? Oh, Ever. (laughs) Did you ever succeed? Are you joking? Yes, I frequently called in in response to the poetry that she recited and I once got through. Hmm. And I put forth a very strong argument against the uh, moral of this Ah. this, uh, poem that she read. And um, she was extraordinarily warm and she called me, like, honey-like and baby-like. Were, were you those, trying to be combative? I was like, not at all. You were just trying to I have a nice really, discussion? Yeah, exactly. And she was so, like, receptive. And, man, that's a really good point. And, you know, she was not married to her idea at all. She was all about stirring up talk and, you know, getting people to think and disagree. And there's this amazing um, energy that comes when people or, you know, thoughtfully argue their points and, uh, you know... Uh, Nothing better. Not in an adversarial way, but, you know, um, really all sort of contribute, throw their own little sticks into the fire, you know? It's amazing kind of energy that comes out of that. And that's what these people generated, a single voice, millions of listeners, and everybody was frozen to their fucking radio. Or, you know, the cool thing about radio is you could do other shit. I, I used to build models when I listened to the radio when I was a kid. Yeah, I could paint a whole picture and think about the radio show when I'm looking at the picture. Yeah, that's very cool. You know, speaking of which, I have a whole sit, set called "Where and When," totally personal, totally personal playlist of a whole shitload of songs and the sh- and the memories that I oh, have. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and I'm going to invite other people to you know tell their stories and send in their requests. Yeah. Um, but I'm. I got a great playlist for that because you know I have all these incidents yeah. in my life, and I always don't, remember. Don't worry, baby was one of my favorite ones. Yeah, yeah, that's one of my favorite ones. So, so here we have this uh, experience. You know, when we we're kids, and like everything else, cool that we you know was going on. We were kids in the '60s and '70s. Went away. It seemed like the country really got very conservative. I remember feeling when I was a kid. That pot was going to be legal like any fucking day now. Right. And now I think it's totally hopeless. It, it just seems to, to be much, much worse.
4: Yeah. I don't know. It uh, You know, things are always changing. Everything at the time, it looks bleak like this.
2: Well, everything happens in waves, I think. Yeah. So you remember the 20s were of extremely liberal time in the in the United States, much more liberal than they are today. Oh, yeah. So, everything comes and goes in waves. So you had it in the '20s, you had it in the '60s. Maybe we're due. We're, we're I mean, it, it you're causes, ready for a revolution. It
4: just, it just causes it to happen. You know, you squeeze something long enough, something it's going to pop out the other side. That's the law of
2: physics, isn't it? I think exactly the law. That's, every, what,
4: <laughs> that's every, what I got at the, the every, A on the test. Every
2: action has an equal and opposite reaction.
4: Yeah, squeeze it, and something pops out.
2: No, I don't think that's the law.
4: <laughs> yeah, Mrs. Harrington gave me an A for that answer.
2: I remember in uh, music school in Berkeley, we had these, um, you know, everything had the the school crest on it, and it says esse quam videri in Latin underneath it, which means, like, to be rather than to seem,
5: which yeah. is a pretty cool
2: little yeah. motto. But the running joke in school was that it stood for anything can follow a one chord. <laughs> because we heard that like 40 times a day in school it Uh, was pretty much like like saying you know hello
4: i went to a jfk elementary school jail for kids
2: you know i went to jfk also as you know i don't know you didn't know I went to JFK and went to, got stuck in the uh, jail over at the Strawberry Festival. <laughs> couldn't go to the second half of the school every year for four years. You remember that? Like St. Aloysius Church had yeah. a Strawberry Festival every year? Right. And, and in it, they had this deal where they would you know, have rides and they would have candy and all kinds of crap to eat and everything. And in it, they had this deal where you could buy a ticket and you're allowed to stick anybody in jail. Ha! <laughs> You remember this? No. So who put you in jail? Everybody. The first fucking second I was there, I never got to go on a single ride ever in the four years. I got there instantly. Fucking some. That can't be true. I swear to God. So what were you like sitting in that jail all day? I you had to buy your way out. So I would what, be screaming st- at people as they walked past. Give were me you one having ticket. fun, or were you completely miserable? I had the time of my life. <laughs> it was always some hot chick that stuck me in the ah, jail. Yeah, so yeah. it was a kind of a, a kind of like a. Um, You know, what's that little Abner, uh, you know, Sadie, it was kind of a Sadie Hawkins thing. Uh Chicks were always getting guys Uh in the jail.
4: So it was a status symbol.
2: Yes, total status symbol. (laughs) And then, of course, I'd be stuck because the way to get out was you had to buy your way out. You had needed like five tickets to get out. Everything was with tickets. So people had to give you a ticket? You had to forfeit any tickets you went when you went in. So you had to beg your way out by yelling at passersby. The jail was centrally located. In the center of the fair, this was entertainment.: we I must have
4: good. been hanging out by the cotton candy or something.
2: And then, and then, as people went by, you would be like, "Please give me a ticket, you know, and then if you knew somebody, they'd give you, throw you like a ticket. But half the time, I could never scrape up the five full five tickets. so after lunch, after lunch, everybody <laughs> went back to school, which was two feet away at JFK, and I would be stuck in jail for the rest of the afternoon. And I'd come in the next day, and I'd say the same excuse every fucking year. I'm not buying this. My hand to God.
4: So the, no one
2: was at the fair except you were stuck in some sort of plastic me paper like, jail. Me, uh, yes, like some plastic. And who pla- was watching paper. you? Me, the nuns. No, there were other people at the fair, like mothers with little kids, just not the kids from our you know grade school. Right. And if you escaped to go back to class, I could escape any fucking time. <laughs> but it would always be like me. And um, uh, Barry Glazer stuck in the jail together. You remember him? Uh, yeah, he was a he was a no account. He was a no account. Really tall, handsome. Yeah, I don't remember him. Funny. Actually. He was a very funny dude. And uh, so, yeah, JFK. I went to that school for four years, and I never once heard that it was called jail for kids. Oh, really? Yeah. You weren't in my class. No. But it was a great school. I recall. Yeah, you walk. I had good years there. You
4: walk in the front door, you climb up the stairs, and you walk out the back door, and you're s- still on flat ground.
2: It was completely flat. That's what you're
4: saying. No, it was somehow built into a hill, and I couldn't figure out how I went upstairs and walked out the door, and I was still
2: standing on the ground. Wow. You were taking a lot of mushrooms. That's where
4: they left the- me back a grade. Right that very. Right <laughs> after that question. I had to do two second grades. Was that
2: related to the drop as a child, or was that (laughs) just... Well, the drop was definitely before that. Hey, you tuned into the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio, hanging with S. Poe and uh, Lord of Sin behind the glass. It's Wednesday, March the 22nd, the year of our lard, 2006. Back from the Yukon. and Boy, are my arms tired. And we've been talking all (laughs) night. to you wish you had a fucking uh, snare drum. Um and uh, we've been talking all night about radio and not only the uh, great contribution that it's made to the world but uh, the re- the cool very cool resurgence that it's having with internet radio. We started doing this some 7 plus years ago um and there was, you know, like um 15 other fucking stations out there. And I remember some nights I would do you know like two hits of acid and do like a seven hour show
4: right before
2: like it was ever recorded or anything
4: and you you might not have even have any listeners
2: right, and I'd be schwitzing like a horse <laughs> <laughs> by the end of the fucking show <laughs> I'd play like every single song in my m p three collection you know talk about Bessie. <laughs> And basically, I did it in lieu of therapy. I couldn't really afford a shrink. And um, so I did it instead of that. How did it work for you? It didn't really work out, but um, because you remember Mrs. Jester frequently would um, be a real uh, problem. Well, that was the most amazing thing, because
4: Jester would be in his basement putting on a show, being as honest as any human being can be about... Uh, straying from his wife and she'd be upstairs doing a crossword puzzle three inches away if she ever just stuck her head down she would have known what was going on.
2: In the five years that I did the show in the same house where she lived she never once heard one split second of the show. And what? She wasn't interested? She just, you know... I don't know, man. I, you know, I, I hesitate to just say she wasn't interested because that's too easy to just say she was... A total cunt and wasn't really interested. She was so angry at me all the fucking time. Not without good reason, sometimes. And um, she had a very hard time being with me. And also, she was sort of like a five-year-old in a lot of ways. I think of her, realize now, she was really very... She was kind of mean on the outside, but she was really very much like a kid, a little kid on the inside. And I think she, with the radio thing, looking back now, she would probably have loved it if I set up something in the bedroom so she could flip it on and listen to it. You know, she would have She would have probably listened.
4: Right. Well, her curiosity, never got it to the door to poke a urine? Never or did. Or to walk downstairs and never, sit next to you? Never
2: did. No, never did. She would come down in between sets and smoke a joint sometimes, which I thought was very nice. Uh-huh but she never listened to a single word of the show. And by the way, I think she was sort of intimidated by the whole music thing. When we first started dating, we went to a lot of concerts together. and We just had a fucking blast, you know? Um, we went to like uh, see Jackson Brown one time, and she, uh, I was doing Mushrooms. We were sitting in the fourth row, and she kept saying, I don't feel anything, and I just kept like giving her more fucking Mushrooms, you know? <laughs> <laughs> she, like, didn't get the whole thing about how it took a few minutes to you it. Know? <laughs> And, um, she was so fucking wasted. We walked out of the concert afterwards. We met Jackson Brown and we had to tell old, that story. Well, that was an amazing story, man. And, um, we go outside and we look up and there's a wall, probably maybe like 30 feet high. Okay. We're in like some back alley walking mm-hmm. out to the car. And this is in Phoenix, Arizona. And, uh,. We look up, and there's a blank wall, like maybe 30 feet high, completely white, all painted perfectly white. And we looked at the wall, and we looked at each other, and we fell down on the floor laughing for about fucking 20 minutes, no exaggeration. We couldn't (laughs) breathe. We were going to vomit just from looking at this white wall. Together, we just both looked at the wall, looked at each other, and just fucking started laughing. Can you still see the humor in it? I still see the humor in it, and I'll tell you right now, it was probably one of the five best moments of our marriage. Uh uh-huh. We were the most, you know, totally in sync with each other at that split second, you know? Yeah. But she was mostly, I think, really scared and really worried about feeling safe all the time and really fo- worried about feeling secure all the time. And I think somehow. Uh, At the outset of our relationship, she got the misconception that I was going to be, like, really responsible and, like, uh, very, um, you know, and make her life worry-free. Yeah, I thought uh, you guys, you know, had a pretty good setup. We would had a great setup, but um, she was always worried that I was sort of very flaky.
4: You went to work work every day? No, No, no,
2: no, no. My attitude about the world was very flaky. She didn't like me being an atheist. Really? Yeah. But she she, 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 really I mean, didn't she knew this. this about you before. Again, I think she idealized the situation because she um, looked at my family and she thought this is a good family to get involved with uh-huh. because there will always be security and safety. She grew up in a very poor home and they were worried always about the neck where the next penny was coming from. And she was very worried about being start making a family with somebody that was safe.
4: Right. Well, it's pretty common for a woman, I believe. Sure.
2: Absolutely. But I think she also came from the kind of family where, um, even though she was a very, very strong, capable woman, she came from the kind of family where she didn't feel adequate to run a family. Oh, really? She felt that yeah, the man had to run the family. And the second she got pregnant, she stopped working, and she never went back to work again for the 13, 17 following years. That shocked you? Not the first 10 or so. But then I started saying, look, we really need you to go back to work. You know, we have this huge fucking nut, you know. We had two cars and a house and... Two kids and one going into college and, you know. And uh, she just said, fuck you. This was our deal. I sit home and drink a bottle of wine every fucking day. Take a half a bottle of, uh, you know, painkillers. She was addicted to fucking painkillers. Right. Alcohol and pills, man. It's the fucking classic, you know, suburban combination and she wasted her fucking life away and when it was time to get off her ass she just said no fucking way
4: and she she found a comfortable seat
2: yeah and that was the end man and we spent seven more fucking years of that yeah a long peter out and then I moved down to the basement and lived in the Jester Radio Studios for six months and I said fuck this shit sounds
4: like misery
2: yeah, there's quite a story there. So, uh, tell what you're gonna tell J- Jackson Brown. So I go backstage. <laughs> Do you know the story? I go backstage, and you gotta tell it right, or else we get we get backstage passes because the couple that we're with donate their services to this charity that Jackson does. So we're in the fourth row, which is the first like non-family row. In a really intimate venue, and it was an amazing, amazing show. And I fucking called out a lyric to him. Did I ever tell Dad you? That he forgot? Lives in the balance. So um, that he forgot. Yeah, he like paused for a second, and I called out the lyric, and like four people on the fucking row like turned and slapped me five.
0: Because nah. he
2: like picked it up in an instant and sang it. I called out the lyric like in like a billionth of a second, you know. Right really fast so um anyway we, later we go backstage and everybody's milling around talking to the other fucking musicians there's this guy from chicago i forget his name with the little glasses he plays the um guitar now with jackson yeah. brown uh, isn't the Can't crux of, of his the story
4: name. of how big a fan you are
2: yeah but wait i'm telling <laughs> you about this guitar player <laughs> okay
4: <laughs> i don't remember this part of the story so i'm not this is um this is a
2: true this is true this is a true part okay in the concert, he does a thing with a guitar. He uses an ebo. You know what that even is no it 's a little electronic thing you hold over the strings It makes the strings vibrate on okay, electric guitar It yeah. sounds like you 're bowing a guitar it 's got a really sweet sound so during the solo part to um, before the deluge, you know where David Lindley plays the violin, so he plays this with an Ebo almost note for note it 's gorgeous, super sweet. So we're sort of lingering around backstage, and I see the guy, and I walk over to him, and I go, man, fucking that solo was amazing, you know, with the Ebo, and he nods his head, yeah, thanks, dude. I said, you know, it was like fucking, you know, who needs David? You know, he was like there, and he goes, oh, David's not with the band anymore. I said, yeah, no, I know, like for 15 years. <laughs> I'm just saying that with the solo that you did, it's like, hey, where's David? You know what I'm saying? He goes, yeah, because David's no longer <laughs> with the band. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, well, So media I media. tried like twice, and I said, are, there, are those tacos over there? <laughs> <laughs> well. And then Jackson Brown comes over, and somebody introduces me, and I shook his hand, and I got to tell you, man, afterwards... I'm springing ahead a little bit. Afterwards, the whole other group comes running over to me. They were like hanging over by the stairs. And they come running over and they go, well, how how was it? How was it, you were talking to him for a while, what happened? And I go, well, you know, it was fucking just as I I said. I gotta admit, over the years, I have actually thought of this moment. I thought, what would I say to Jack Sands? I would think of that with anybody, you know, Bob Dylan, whatever. And it actually thought, and I have to tell you, all these years that it's been running through my head, it's an amazing experience. It exactly happened, exactly as I imagined, always imagined it would be. And they go, What? What happened? I said, He, shook, so he sticks out his hand and says, Hi, I'm Jackson Brown. And I said, And he walked away. <laughs> <laughs> and I fucking said, holy shit, that's just the way I thought it would be. <laughs> no, but at some point in there, he said something like, you're the guy who saved my ass on Lives in the Balance. And I said, oh, my God. Do you
4: hear him on, uh, what is it, Storytellers VH1, where he's telling yeah. a story, he's doing an Eagles tune, he gets the lyrics wrong?
2: No, I don't remember The that. audience gasps. He has no idea why.
4: <laughs> it's like, what a woman can do for a man is what he thinks. <laughs> and the audience goes, oh, my God. <laughs> what a woman could do for a man. That's our Jackson Brown
2: taken. Oh, no.
4: <laughs> His audience slip.
2: And it's to a man, obviously. Yeah. She found out a long time ago. <laughs>
4: Something like that. Actually, whatever it is, it isn't what a woman can do for a man.
2: It's what a woman can do to a man. I think so. Uh, We'll look it up. (laughs) Leave it where it is. Elvis Costello on Jester Radio. Cover of Sculpture Weekly. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, Music. Musician. Musician Weekly. Or fucking bus, bus Driver Weekly. Whatever happens to be the industry. And they say, come on, let's make some money. And the big boys say, son, don't be ungrateful. That's the fucking syndrome. That's what's become. That's the artist's complaint now. So looking at it from the artist's point of view, it so sucks. Imagine how amazing it was to be an artist back in the day when people talked about your music for a half hour before they played it. You can only think
4: of maybe two or three bands right now that haven't sold out yet.
2: Well, that's an amazing accusation, Mr. Poe. Um, I guess Dylan, I guess, is out of the question. He's doing lingerie, ads. He's not doing them, but he did. So. It might be a joke, though. I heard
4: that, uh, like he said in an interview in the 60s, Like if they ask if he's ever going to do a commercial,
2: commercial, he says, yeah, for ladies' lingerie. That may be very well true. I wonder. <clears throat> and if somebody called him on that, that would be amazing. I think he would appreciate that. You know, he figured here's a way to make some well, money and make a joke. You know, Ed Bradley asked him about that on the 60-minute interview. Did he? Yeah, he gave some cryptical answer, you know. He said something like, "The guilty undertaker sighs, <laughs> <laughs> lonesome organ grinder cries, silver saxophone say, I should refuse you.'" It he barely nodded. He, he 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 addressed the media as he has since he was seventeen years old. He did not give one straight fucking answer. It was unbelievable.
4: I don't really agree with that. You got to look closely. He said to him, listen, "Listen to me.
2: Listen to me." He said to him, "Why did you?" Pick your name. You were born Bob Zimmerman. Why did you pick your name Bob Dylan? And you know what his answer was? Not what everybody's been waiting 50 (laughs) fucking years to hear that it was for Dylan Thomas or not. But instead he goes, hey, this is America. You're allowed to name (laughs) your fucking self anything you want. And he goes, you didn't feel like a Bob Zimmerman. He goes, hey. You know, it fucking happens. You're born in the wrong skin. You're born in the wrong town. You're born with the wrong name. It happens every day in America. What's your fucking problem? And you're thinking to yourself, what? Where did we go here? What are we talking about? People are born with the wrong name every day? Says who? And he's like, next question. I thought he answered that honestly. You know what? It was not what everybody was waiting to hear, man. Well, you, and, 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 and that's fucking, what's so honest about and, him. is that you know fuck,
4: He wants you to go fuck yourself if you want to hear that answer. Who the fuck cares? me right right but i'm still it, but, dying it, but to but know Dylan... if
2: Susie orman on the fucking cover <laughs> of course it or, is or not it's just her ass
4: oh that cover
2: so of course everybody says it is but why won't anybody just fucking come out and say <laughs> you want me to say it and put an end to this yeah you don't fucking know doesn't matter Nobody knows by now. Everybody fucking forgot if there's some legend or something.
4: Right, well, that's a great thing about reality is we can make it
2: happen right here. That's not great. Reality should be fucking stuck <laughs> and fixed. I don't want a universe where reality is a fucking flexible, mysterious. Yeah, there's no way around it. No, bullshit. I, uh, I accept the fact that we'll never you know fully grasp it with our pea-sized fucking brains. But I think that the constant... Okay, well,
4: I'll go buy that, but if you can't experience it, then...
2: Then what? Finish then your fucking then what's sentence. what's the use? What's, what's, the, the, use what's of, the use of what? Of having a there's no... We don't have to come up with a that, use. That there's no, uh... Not everything has to have a use. We're not forming a religion here. Just because the shit is the way it is, you know, I got a friend... No, it's just a thought of yours that I got one fr- day we'll figure it out. I got a friend. We will. Yeah, I mean that's just a thought.
4: It's not any more real than anything anyone else. Yes, is it saying. is. It's the only fucking <laughs> thought, only because it's coming
2: out of you. It's my fucking No, man. Bullshit. <laughs> it's true. It, listen to me, man. There is a de- definitive truth, even even in things as flaky as quantum physics. They can be. I'm not saying there's no truth. I'm saying you'll never know it. I agree. Oh, oh, I 100 percent agree. I said with the fucking pea brains. That well, we but got. not only you, but
4: you know no human no human will ever will
2: ever necessarily grasp it never not for millions of years and then we won't be humans anymore we'll be the next thing up on the on the encyclopedia chart no
4: on whatever the video game is the next level (laughs)
6: exactly
2: (laughs) exactly because aliens came and fucked the monkey that's what we're doing here. That's the meaning of it all. I have this great friend, Tonic Water. You know who I'm talking about, right? I don't, actually. Oh, that's Arizona, okay. And um, he uh, always says, you know, people always say that there's a reason for everything. He says, I agree with that. There's definitely a reason for everything. You know the reason there's water coming in the living room? Because you didn't fix the fucking roof. (laughs) That's the reason. (laughs) (laughs) So it's true. Everything does happen.
4: Yeah, I mean, that's your choice. If you want to make everything have a reason, then you can make that happen. You can believe it. You can find uh, bullshit fucking, you know. Everyone finds bullshit on their own level. Yeah. and It works uh, for
2: you that day. It's too bad because uh, um, how much more fulfilling and rewarding, rewarding being the key, the search for truth is. I know.
4: And the fact that, you know, I can't find anything in school that is leading anywhere near that.
2: Yeah, schools are prisons. They're not fucking houses of education. Yeah,
4: wouldn't it be great if it was, though?
2: That's why, you know, I was talking to Lord of Sin's um, wife, who is a grade school teacher, who we're going to visit in a couple of weeks, and we'll teach them about radio and music and everything. Um, and um, I was talking to her about the education system, and I was saying, we've got to get rid of the public education system because it's draining all the fucking tax dollars... For this thing, who the fuck says everybody gets a free education? Because we want to be a smart country? That's not a reason to make everybody fucking pay to educate everybody's kids. Not everybody's kids are educatable. And besides, who the fuck are you to tell me what to do with my kids and what to fucking teach them? And what'll happen if they do away with mandatory education is a bunch of different fucking alternate cool fucking really cool schools will open. right? for people to be attracted to and they'll go to the schools and the kids who are fucking too stupid or too poor to go to school will stay fucking home. The world doesn't owe everybody a free education. Maybe that's a reason to make more fucking money and work harder. Agreed. Schools are prisons. Schools are not houses of education. And it's and it's terribly unfortunate. I told her she every fucking day she comes home And I say, how was your day? And she tells me about the two trouble kids in her class. The other 30 fucking kids are getting a shit fucking education. I said, imagine a world where there were no whatever, Anthony's and Joey's. And you could just teach and spend all day learning with curious, interested, uh, well-fed, well-fucking-homed, parented children. And her eyes, like, get misty, you know? Uh-huh. She spends like thirty percent of her time. I don't know if you know this about American teachers. She spends like thirty percent of her time trying to raise money. They're doing charities and bake-offs and fucking uh, promotions and and uh, car washes and fucking walkathons and anything to scrapple together fucking money for the music program and the sports program and
4: right. <coughs> it's fucking tragic, right, but. Certainly figure out how Take it work. out of
2: the fucking public sector that wastes seventy cents on the dollar. Take it out of the fucking public sector, put it in the fucking private sector where it belongs, and let the kids who could fucking are you know afford it and can and are um, you know tempered for that type of environment, let them fucking enjoy it. Make it a fucking business like everything else. And they won't be stuck into this 12-year thing. Maybe some people will do it in eight years. Maybe some people will do it in 15 years. Maybe some people will do it differently for different children. Who imagine that, such a system that allowed for differences in children. Every fucking buddy I know that went to school when I went to school went to the same fucking 12 years of school. There, There was no discussion about that. And if you knew the shit in three months out of that fucking ten months you were in school, then you sat around with your finger up your ass for seven months. Right.
4: There were two kids in my class that somehow, you know, they were, they were, <laughs> they were like, you know, smart They're, and mature and they knew things. Right. And they were so way ahead of the rest of us that it, it, was, it was, you know, a fucking sin to watch their brains, you know, turn, right. turn to nothing.
2: Right. Right and that is exactly what happens in that environment your brain turns to nothing what a terrible waste of time and money and fucking childhood the shit that i fucking of course i made the best of it you know when i was in it you know just like the way prisoners make the best you know prisoners of fucking war make the best look at uh, hogan's heroes <laughs> those, guys, those guys were having a, LeBeau was cooking up five star <laughs> treats in the yeah. fucking on the on the uh, hot plate
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> they made the best of a bad situation wouldn't you say
4: Oh yeah, they even got out to town a few times they,
0: a week
2: exactly it's a line sort of came and went and they would by the way they'd be dancing in the same fucking uh, you know Rathskeller that Colonel Clink was a few <laughs> feet away you didn't seem to ever notice that and Colonel Waldenheimer whatever that big fat guy was
6: <laughs> yeah, bracha.
2: <laughs> yeah, bracha. So they were making the best of a bad situation. That's what you got to fucking that's do. What,
4: that's what you might as well do because that's, that's your what, alternative.
2: Well, you know, I don't know. If you got a choice and you know, you can quest. think
4: about it and come down on one side should I make myself miserable or should I squeeze a little hope out of this situation? Yeah,
2: it's every minute of every day, it seems to me, is basically a fork in the road, you know, where you can decide, you know, what, how am I going to... And everything you do affects your life. And um, Don McLean said, you know, there's no need for turning back because all roads lead to where we stand. And I believe we'll walk them all, no matter what we may have planned. So it's kind of comforting thought to think that... There's no reason to panic and, and sweat out every single turn and to live our lives and, you know, go through these decisions and to be, you know, sort of okay with ourselves and let ourselves, you know, explore the future with the kind of knowledge that ultimately we'll sort of end up where we're supposed to.
4: Right in the box.
2: Well, prior to the box <laughs> is what I <laughs> the mean. The universe is expanding. LV. No, don't uh, don't uh, distort my words. I'm not saying that, uh, I'm saying that there is a purpose for life. I actually believe there is a, uh, almost as a sacred sacrosanct purpose as the phony baloney right to, you know, I mean, uh, pro-lifers. There's a purpose that, that you would know about? Yeah. Or that you just live out and it happened for a reason? No, I know.
4: And how no, Jackson
2: Brown said Somewhere between the time you arrive And the time you go May lie a reason you were alive But you'll never know But I believe there is a reason I believe we can know what it is I believe I know what it is It's not, oh, a, yeah? not a secret It's one thing It is one thing And what is that thing? You got a pencil and a piece of paper? It's a long one? No, not at still? all I got to write it down? You might want to For
4: later st- on Are you still uh, uh iPod-ing? Yeah, I'm podcasting. Oh, podcasting.
2: That's that thing over there, that program there. All right, I'm not writing it down then. It's um, be happy. That's your purpose? Yeah. You were born for that purpose? Everybody is. Uh, And let me explain why. Well, I can't argue that one. Yeah. No, but I'm not just, this is not just, I'm saying it because I happen to be stoned on a, (laughs) (laughs) that's not why I'm saying it, or because it's a Bobby McFerrin. No, I'm sure you thought it out long and hard. And I'm just going to give you the nutshell version right now. Okay. Because I've reduced it down to, you know, the guy who studied and rewrote his notes. Somebody told him that the best way to study was to rewrite your notes and condense them down to less and less words every time you rewrite them. Mm -hmm. So he went back to the dorm and he took out his notes and he rewrote them and he rewrote them and he rewrote, rewrote them. And he got it down to one single word. And he went in to take the test and he forgot the word.
0: <laughs>
2: Tim Cooney told me that, that
4: happened to me also. <laughs> I once was dreaming. And you didn't have your pants no, on? No, no. I was dreaming, right? And I was like sort of like in this in between dream and awake stage. I'm in Pasadena in a friend's place.
2: You're dreaming
4: you're in Pasadena?
2: No, I actually am in Pasadena. Uh. And I'm in that's not um, part of the dream, by the way, where you physically are. You should never include that information.
4: Yeah, well, uh, just in case you want to read something into it, you got a little more info. So, I, uh, that's you're right, though. I said to myself, Oh my god, I, I had the fucking answer. I can't believe it. After all these years of trying to find the answer, I finally had the answer, and I, you know, got elated like the time I saw the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> but was like this big tingle went through my body, and I said I had the answer, and I got this huge smile on my face, and then I woke up, and you couldn't remember, and that. I and I said, oh fuck, I forgot the answer. And then I couldn't even remember the question, and then I was depressed the whole day. You know that
2: is such bullshit.
4: That's the exact truth story. The sort of yeah, but you,
2: but the dream in the dream, you never really had the answer at all. You just had the feeling you had the answer. Dreams are all about feelings. I, They're just a sequence of feelings. So you never really had the answer, you didn't lose anything at all. The the meaning of the dream, don't waste your time thinking that lost special answer that you that you had. No, because no. The uh, meaning of the dream is in how you felt that yeah, you had the answer. Yeah, it's
4: like the feeling of enlightenment.
2: Yeah. That's the fucking that's the key to your dreams is to follow think about what those feelings are. No, I know that that well
4: this is what we're talking about, enlightenment is is a uh, you know just like a molecule away All you gotta do is you know go from this thought to that thought
2: you know right, because you don't have to climb there is you nothing metaphysical there is nothing metaphysical about the way we think our thoughts are caused by organic synapses of electricity so there is a mechanism to what's going on when we have a thought what we call a thought so when a dramatic synapse closes and and forms a of A very long and complex but meaningful thought, it causes this elevated state of elation. Okay. And it makes us feel, you know, this is our purpose in life, is to do a lot of heavy thinking. And the best we'll ever feel is when we really understand things really, really well. Yeah, and you're saying that this is... That's the way, that that's what we are, that's our purpose... That's what we're, That's how we're made. However we got here, whether it's from the aliens came and fucking the monkey, as Dan Byrne has proposed in his scientific <laughs> white paper on the subject, or whether it's that we evolved, as Charles Darwin proposed, for over hundreds of millions of years from a tadpole. Or if Adam and Eve fucked. Or whether it's that Adam and Eve fucked... Whichever one of those are, or that were on the backs of a turtle. Which is my personal one. <laughs> I think that's like from Thailand or something. Uh,
4: you, know, you know the uh, Kurt Vonnegut
2: preface to his book? It's turtles all the way uh, down.
4: No, it's, yeah, no, it's, yes, it's, so the earth is on the back of a turtle. Well, well, then what's that turtle on? That's another turtle. Well, what's that turtle on? That's another turtle. So the woman who stood up in the crowd and asked the question, <laughs> says, Don't try to fool me with your logic. It's turtles all the way.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Don't try to fool me with your logic. Yeah. That's just, I think that's one of the greatest lines of mankind. (laughs) Don't try and fool me with your logic. There's a great show on uh, Showtime called uh, Penn and Teller's Bullshit. Have you seen it? Yeah, yeah, I like it. And um, they they did this. They they love to like freeze frame while somebody is talking and cut it and like insult the shit out (laughs) of the guy. Have you ever seen this? They just do this. It's amazing. And this one guy is talking, and he gets up and he goes, "Nobody is ever going to convince me that there are UFOs flying around New Mexico." And they freeze frame, and and Gillette goes. Right away, you know, the guy's a fucking retard. What kind of person says nobody will ever convince me? Isn't that the point of the, our entire fucking existence? Is to have this open and meaningful the dialogue, dialogue and, and controversy and to be respectful. and? What do you mean? Nobody will ever convince me. That is the opposite of the true skeptic. The true skeptic says, convince me. Exactly. And then he thoughtfully listens and analyzes the information. That's what a real skeptic does. The real skeptic doesn't say, you'll never convince me.
4: And while we're at it, I'll give out a plug to samharris.org
2: for anyone that wants to read that. And listen to his shit. He's got some recordings of his shit as well.
4: Or listen to procreations.comedy and you'll hear it for an hour long
2: yeah it's a um the guy is really an amazing thinker and talker and very articulate and uh you gotta check that out pocreations dot com and click on uh, the comedy station click on that comedy and you can hear uh sam harris amazing uh s po turned me on to recently amazing dude and uh, you've been listening to Bob the Engineer's Ask Me to Remind You that you've been listening to The Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio this Wednesday, March the 22nd, the year of our Lord, 2006. Hanging behind the glass with S. Poe. And um, hanging in the Jester Radio chat room with Uncle Jay. Uh, special thanks go out to all our listeners uh, from around the world. So very glad and grateful that you tuned in this evening to um hear about our uh, thoughts about the uh, influence of radio and especially not on just our lives but on all of our lives and how cool a thing it is and uh, you know just once in a blue moon we have to just look at our own th- shit you know and see how fucking cool it is i remember the first way I got into this is when Tazamine, who we you know consider to be the godfather of Jester Radio, and I were trading software one day and he goes, Oh here dude, you're into music. This is that program that lets you turn your computer into a radio station. And I <laughs> said, Holy what? What? The mother of what? You suddenly had an answered prayer without realizing you were praying. Dude, that may be the exact hitting of the nail on the head with the hammer. Maybe why they invented that phrase. <laughs> what you just said and I said to myself holy baby Jesus the internet plus the shit that's going on in my fucking head plus a microphone holy baby Jesus holy baby Jesus (laughs) I said it several times more but I'm not going to take up the airtime. and I had a pretty decent respectable mp3 collection at that time probably about 1500 which was pretty decent
4: the glory days of Napster
2: Glory days of Napster. Plus, I had a pretty extensive album collection, which I digicated.
4: Right, right from the vinyl,
2: and right from the vinyl, tons and tons of it. At the beginning, it was you know all my own personal vinyl, and uh, they were heady times, my friend. <laughs> the salad days. Why do they call that the salad days? That's the beginning of the course. Really? I took a shot. I thought it was because you can only afford salad. Yeah, that's what I used to think. And you're just changing. I I grew up. (laughs) 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 You're tuned into the ravings of a cloud on chest Radio. Here's a guy listening to the radio. And he's checking it out. And he's thinking to himself, that's a cool riff, you know? And he picks up his fucking git box. You hear him, like, snorting (laughs) a little bit. And he starts thinking to himself, "Here he goes." Do you hear? I've <laughs> I, oh! I never heard that before. Yeah, and then he just joins in. So join along with us on Jester Radio.
7: Go. Folks hoping you'd turn out cool, but they had to take you out of school. You're a little. T- Baby
2: Ready on jester radio. That's a freaky kind of tune. All about how some weird ass fucking chick, the, like the spooky chick from school, gets uh, sucks some like neighbor boy into her bedroom and sucks him into the radio. And she can have sex with him anytime she wants. She just turns up the radio. And her parents are always like outside, like, What are you doing in there, child? Really freaky fucking. Kind of weird-ass story there.
4: Helen Reddy was a little more dark than we all suspected.
2: Right. Yeah,
4: she was, uh,
2: you could hear her roar.
4: That was one of the strange things that I, these are something I think about. Do you ever notice how if a chick is singing a song written by a guy about a girl, she's got no problem, you know, keeping the, uh, the word she or her in there?
2: Never switching it to guys? You know, the gender? I haven't the faintest of <laughs> ha. You don't know what I'm talking about? I do, I know exactly what you're talking about uh, 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 Joan Baez, The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down
4: Yeah, I mean, you can name a million of them
2: Me and Bobby McGee But for a guy That's out of the question
4: I, I remember when she had that hit song, I Am Woman Every guy wanted to sing oh. it. it Felt, felt the, you know felt it coming out of his mouth at one time or another
2: Had to shut down Had to Unless they were a homo
4: Unless, yeah.
2: In which case they would be perfectly um, acceptable And you wouldn't uh, be lying, per se? No, I think that's the difference between men and women. And why is that? Uh, You know, for some reason, the way we evolved, it worked out better to have the sexes split into two halves. To have two different forms of human was much more... I think this goes to what we were talking about last night about how we evolved as a species that were completely interdependent on each other we don't live in clans we're fucked right no no and i think it's further split into male and female because you couldn't fit everything we needed to survive into one fucking species so when you say why are they different no no no. why is it okay for a woman to sing and not feel self-conscious
4: about it and yet a guy
2: will never sing i am woman that goes into that mysterious magical formula that makes up a woman you know women are made up largely of sugar and spice and everything nice
4: yeah, at least 90%.
2: And when, and men are made up of like toenail clippings and I don't know the other part of that rhyme. <laughs> the bad things. And I think the reason they were making rhymes like that, Little you know, paper, fucking a thousand years ago is because people recognize that in the, na- in the nature of man, you know, apart from everything else, apart from all the finer things that men have struggled for, as Jackson Brown says... There has always been and always will be war. And I think that this is the great dichotomy. This is why we're always asking questions. We're not just happy. I don't believe that the deer in the forest and the crocodiles in the river are asking themselves, why am I here? I think the reason that we spend so much time doing that is because we're programmed that way. This is the way we're built. How w- This goes back to my philosophy of being happy is our purpose in life because for whatever reason, whether we got here by divine creation or shit happenstance because of a primordial ooze, because it is a law of the universe that when certain ingredients get together, they create life, and that life always evolves. And maybe that's the reason that we're here. Whatever the reason is, our molecules have come together from disparate places in the universe to create... A one single unique creature that will exist only once for a very, very short period of time. A brief flash. Think of it as lighting a match and how you think there's always this like sort of melancholy thing associated with a match. It starts out with so much hope and it goes away so quickly. Right, like a shooting star. Like a shooting star. But even with a shooting star, you can think logically it's continuing on somewhere else. No. <laughs> <laughs> Don't try to fool me with your logic. It goes right into my gutter of my house. And we're gone. And at the end, let me tell you something, Poe. And I know you know this. In a hundred million years from now. That's when I start. That's only when you will then just start being dead forever. And there is no end to the end.
4: That's me waving my arms around like Norton. Those first couple hundred years.
8: <laughs> <laughs> get ready to
2: address the ball or something. Clearing the fucking piece of paper there to write out a glass <laughs> Right box.
4: Before I write a little something. That's the first couple of billion.
2: That's right. And so I believe that we have basically won the cosmic lotto, that we get to live this brief flash of moment. And there it could only be one fucking thing to do with it. If I was to say to you, hey, you get 10 seconds on that fucking coolest fucking ride in the world, you're going to fucking relish every billionth of a second of it, and you'll remember it for the rest of your life. <laughs>
4: the rest of my 10 seconds?
2: No, I'm not saying you live for 10 seconds. I'm saying get on that ride for 10 seconds. Uh-huh. It's the coolest fucking ride in the history known to mankind. And you will enjoy every fucking billionth of a second of that 10 seconds. Oh, right. And when you get off that ride, you'll spend the rest of your life remembering that fucking ride. Right. Right. And that's what I'm saying we should live our lives like. That's what we should fucking do. We should. Our purpose is to be happy uh-huh. because that's the only rational thing to do with this incredible gift. Well, you're right
4: there. You know what uh, Doug Stanhope says? He says, they're always telling me I've got to live life like uh, there's no tomorrow. You know, like this is your last moment on earth. You know, really to get as much out of life as you can. Is you know, But they never tell you what happens when you, like, you know, have no more money. You know? Fuck, fuck I don't know what the fuck he says. No, I know what you're saying. <laughs> but the truth
2: is, that's bullshit. You can't live like your life like there's no tomorrow. Right, right if you're gonna if you the the best coolest way to live is exactly what you believe is to figure out what you believe and to live that way. imagine if everybody just fucking did that they didn't spend their time trying to convince everybody else to believe their shit. You know, you always ask yourself, if these fucking people really believe in heaven and hell and Judgment Day, then why don't they just shut the fuck up? (laughs) Right, yeah, let God take care of it. And let God take care of it. (laughs) Who the fuck, man, do they think? They've got to be guys, little elf helpers. What are they, the fucking hall monitor (laughs) of the fucking world? (laughs) They Uh, they woke up one day, they thought, it must be my responsibility to, to fuck with you. no. They, they they always pull this bullshit. Oh, we have to fucking change that. We, we can't have the sh- porno on TV. Because what if the fucking children see the fucking porno? Let me tell you something. First of all, besides the fact that as a child, very I, sexual. I couldn't get enough porno. <laughs> no, I couldn't give a fuck about porno. And I don't believe that any child that was exposed to porno ever became malaffected by it. And by the way, what do you think was going on for the first quarter of a billion years? With everybody fucking each other.
4: Fucking people. Come on.
2: We managed somehow to survive. Yeah,
4: we still built the Empire State Building after all that. (laughs) Exactly.
2: Exactly. I always say we, but, you know. Yeah, no, I'm included in the Empire State Uh, Building uh, deal. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I'm taking full credit and faith and credit for that. Right. Imagine what a fucking world it would be if we all just lived our lives according to what we believed. Just an incomprehensible fucking thought. And you didn't spend your whole fucking life fighting off other cocksuckers who wanted you to believe the stupid shit they believed. They lived their fucking lives, and you lived your fucking life, and everybody would get together to form just enough government to protect the borders and take out the garbage. And that's it. And mind your own fucking beeswax. If I want to fucking drink Drano, or I want to teach my children that the moon is made of green cheese, or if I want to fucking uh, put a fucking still in my backyard, or run a floating crap game, or anything else that offends the church but doesn't hurt anybody else, fuck off. Just fuck off. Enjoy your fucking pristine harp playing fucking (laughs) Jesus-filled life and, you know... really enjoy it. Yeah, really fucking enjoy it by not worrying about my damnation. Yeah. Because... We know we're going to hell. Because there ain't no fucking monster in the sky. There ain't no fucking judgment day. There ain't no meaning to it all. What do they actually tell
4: themselves when, when you throw that argument back at them? Like, you know, why don't you let God take care of it?
2: Well, I don't believe I've ever really had the, uh, that meaningful, uh, I've ever gotten to that point with a Christian. Mm-hmm. Because usually they sort of nod and give you a patronizing you know, kind of smirk. And People
4: bail when you start shaking yeah. their religious yeah, beliefs. Yeah, they
2: really do, man. They really do. They, they can't start sweating. They're really not open to rational discussion about it. They they, they have this light on that goes, non-believer, non-believer, alert, alert. Right. Different thoughts flood their brain and they, they can And they nod and they smirk. And they think to themselves, oh, Lord, this man <laughs> has been sent to tempt me. <laughs> I am with you, my Jesus, at this moment. I don't hear what he's saying, la, la, la. And that's what they do. I remember this guy walked up to me in a um, parking lot outside of a superstore on Long Island, and he said to me, would you like to buy some, uh, you know, uh, uh, juicy fruit for the church of the Lord of Saint Jesus and the (laughs) Seven Sisters of God? And I said, what? You're selling gum for God? I said, does he know you're doing that? (laughs) They like look look up towards the sky, and the guy like sh- sh- <laughs> the guy. You remember that scene where where Glinda the Good Witch says, "Now be gone before someone drops a house on you." <laughs> and and Margaret Hamilton like looks up at the sky for a second, like, "What? That could happen." <laughs> <laughs> that's what this guy did. And that's what this guy did. He gave like a fucking sky take. No. Yeah. And I said, man, if I were you, I would get in your car right now before he figures out what's going <laughs> on <out that laughs> <is." laughs> and find it out that you've been selling chewing gum and telling people it's for him. <laughs> and, man, I, I just shudder to think.
4: If he ever gets the time if this If he ever catches
2: out, wind of what's going on in this parking lot, man, you are in some serious shit. I might start praying on that. And he gave me a look. Like, dear Jesus, I'm in the <laughs> presence of Satan right now. Yeah.
4: Oh, you remember that movie with Michael O'Keefe where he got, uh, he got put into a cult? And, he had, and then he wanted to eat a hamburger when no one was looking? Was this a comedy? No, no, it's serious. It was just this kid that got sucked into a cult because of a pretty girl. And he got really into it. You know, they love-bombed him and they did everything. And, uh, they, you know, he became a vegetarian or whatever it was to keep the protein out of the body so that their <laughs> minds would wilt. You know, they'd listen to whatever the right. call leaders would say. And then one day he's like trying to sell flowers in the mall and he's at a hamburger stand right there. And, <laughs> and
2: he starts slavering. He he eats it down and, and then he and starts wait, like pulling wait, it out wait, of his mouth. the guy next to him turns uh, into like a human hamburger.
4: <laughs> no, everyone's looking at him like, what the hell is this guy into? And then he starts taking it out of his mouth and he starts beating <laughs> himself up and he, you know –
2: he, he like Do you remember that cartoon, stay. by the way, when we were kids? Exactly. When the fat and skinny guy were marooned on a desert island, and, yeah, the, fat guy, and the fat guy looks at the skinny guy and, and he turns, turns into, into a hot dog. Yeah. <laughs> skinny guy looks at the fat guy and he turns into like a steaming hamburger. Yeah. What you happened? remember that? Yeah. They were like having mirages from starvation. Yeah. One palm tree, probably. <laughs> Exactly. It was the it was your stock single palm tree <laughs> desert island. Is it desert or deserted? I believe it's desert island, but it means deserted. Yeah. I believe that is the correct word used. You can say it. But thanks for um, checking up on me.
4: No, just for my own curiosity.
2: I believe that the co- co- colloquialism is deserted island because people don't realize anymore that desert island means. Mm. Sort of like slang for deserted. Right. Um,
4: is it implying that the used to be inhabited? A desert.
2: If, no, it, it, it's not No, it's if it's deserted. Yeah. So something used to be there. Oh, that's an amazing. Um, and if those two guys are there, is it is truly <laughs> deserted. <laughs> no longer deserted. <laughs> George Carlin says every time he pulls in on an airplane and the chick gets on the fucking speaker and she says, "Welcome to Cincinnati." And he's thinking to himself, "You just got, <laughs> you just got here with me. <laughs> and you all of a sudden you're coming off like the mayor's wife. <laughs>
0: <Man>. <laughs> you just pulled in yeah. with me. <laughs> What's going
8: on here? Yeah.
2: So. We built this city on rock and roll. You've been listening to the ravings of a clown this wednesday march the 22nd the year of our lord 2006 extra special thanks go out to all those folks that have tuned in from uh, hither and yon bob the engineer was supposed to provide me with a list do you have the list bob bob Is there anybody on the air? Extra special thanks to all our listeners tuning in from the United States, Canada, United Kingdom, Germany, Australia, South Africa, Antigua, and Barbuda. Both. Apparently there's one guy on each island. Spain, the Netherlands, Argentina, Malaysia, China, People's Republic of, Slovak Slovak Republic, and Japan. Uh, Extra, extra special thanks to a brother of sin hanging behind the glass and in the chat room kind of magic how he switches back and forth. Uncle Jay and, of course, S. Poe for joining us behind the glass this evening for a special uh, Ravings of a Clown.
4: Yeah, what glass?
2: Bob the Engineer has asked me to remind you that if you've missed any portion of this evening's show, we'll be recast at 2 a.m. and then 2 p.m. following... Theater of the Mind. (laughs) I get it. (laughs)
4: Theater of the Mind. What do you mean? The glass. Behind the glass.
2: Well, in the studio here, Bob is the Studio. Behi- <coughs> here at Jester Radio Studios, there is a booth that we're in. Uh-huh. And then behind the glass is the engineering room where Bob the Engineer hangs out. He's unmiked because his voice is unsuitable for... He's knocking on the glass. <laughs> yes, Bob. I think he's saying... He's holding up a sign. It says... It's 4 a.m. in New York. I'm FM. The temperature is 32 degrees. I was at a radio station when I was a kid. Another tour I took to... A, I think it was L.I.R., actually. Oh, yeah? With Laura Bernstein. And... Um, I wasn't a tour. No, somebody was on the radio, actually. I think it may have been me, actually, about it being on a drug program. And uh, there was, like, this round table with, like, a shrink and a couple of other people, you know? No. And, yeah. No, I don't know. I think it was LIR. Yeah, you collecting your thoughts? No, um, I'm remembering that uh, somebody called in and said... Um, <clears throat> You know, uh, I think my girlfriend is kind of uh, bisexual. I think what they call (laughs) AMFM. And everybody in the studio had to, like, suppress laughing hysterically. (laughs) And the guy behind the booth, the uh, engineer, holds up a sign and says, I'm FM. (laughs) 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 So everybody had to stop laughing Uh, again. I like hotel motel. What does that even mean? Oh, 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 as a... Bisexual, you mean? Yeah, that's funny. What's that from? I don't know. i never heard that one. Okay. I'll coin another phrase
4: for you. Go ahead. When you're taking a shit, right? you're downloading software. <laughs> <laughs> it must have been done. You
2: picked that up.
4: That's no, I derivative. made that one up in 1997. Really? But this is the first time it's getting a public airing.
2: Well, that may be very well heavily in use tomorrow around the water cooler. (laughs) That's
4: right, yeah. Next to the Bonanza talk.
2: I know. What's the Bonanza talk?
4: People talking about what happened at Bonanza.
2: No, they don't. That show is not on the air any longer. You don't know where these uh, radio waves are hitting. No, I'm quite sure nobody's talking about (laughs) the last episode of Bonanza. But I hear where you're coming from. S. Poe, as you may not know, doesn't own a TV, hasn't owned a TV since the late 70s, and doesn't know a lot about what's happening in TV. He knows a lot about the movies, but he doesn't know anything about TV. It's kind of like a, a non-existent world to you, isn't it?
4: It's about time, it's about space, it's about two men in a crazy place.
2: Yeah, again... That and Dobie are <laughs> off the air. Oh shit. Time tunnel. Doug. There was a guy named Doug on that show. And uh, Land of the Giants. Big phones. Big phones. <laughs> All that shit is off the air now. Mr. Ed Wilbur. Yeah. Best line in Mr. Ed is uh, Mr you know, Alan Post, whatever his name is on the show. Right. He keeps telling Ed to get off the phone. <laughs> right, that's right. He kept the, horse, the kitchen. The horse is on the phone. No, he's out in the barn. He's got his oh, own oh. phone. <laughs> phone. And, Ed, and he's talking on the phone and he's like, "Well, you get off the phone, Ed? Who's he talking to? He, whoever he's talking to. He's making funny phone calls. Ed, it, no. He's on the phone with somebody and Ed keeps interrupting. So he goes, Ed, get off the phone. I told you to get off the phone or something. And then at one point they're talking about something about for the barn and he goes you know do you want you know do you want us to paint it white or do you want us to paint it you know r- blue and ed goes i vote blue <laughs> some shit you know and he says are you still on the fucking vote it was just so fucking funny man <laughs> whatever it was my 11 year old mentality man i almost pissed my fucking <laughs> pants when mr ed said i vote blue <laughs> Thinking he's, like, on the phone. The guy doesn't know it's a horse yeah, talking. Yeah. He probably had those big old fucking glasses on. Right, you yeah, know? like the glasses. My God, that was... How could that not still be on the fucking air, man? What is funnier, I ask <laughs> you, <laughs> in talks. all the fucking world than a talking horse? That yeah. just doesn't stop ever being funny. It's, it's just and <laughs> It's just fucking hysterical, man. The horse was talking, and he was, like, the snottiest, funniest fucking pushy as fucking <laughs> yeah you know what i can't remember what uh what he would do all day What was the he was constantly like? trying to manipulate his owner into doing what into making Getting his blue. much more lush circumstances fix him up with hot fillies down the block did it was he a resource or did he, no he was a loafing fucking horse he hated to carry anybody on his back but he was called to do that every now and again. Of course, yeah. His owner, Alan Post, rode him well, around just for fun. Yeah, he wasn't. A he was ranger like a country gentleman. No, he was like a lawyer in the city or something. And he owned a horse out in the country, maybe like Connecticut or something. And they one in day the he found out that his horse started talking. The to day him. he bought him, yeah. He never had anybody worth talking to before. He said,
4: "Yeah, uh, yeah,
2: that's the way it goes." Has that ever happened to you as well? Where you had a horse and. Uh, Started uh, talking to you, or a dog? Or yeah,
4: you know the joke about the dog. No. It goes into the talent agent, and the he says the owner of the dog says, "I got this great act. Check out this dog. He's a talking dog." Hey, Fido, what's uh, that on top of the house? Roof. Hey, <laughs> Fido, what is sandpaper? Roof. He goes, Hey, Fido, who hit the most home runs ever? And he goes, Roof. And the magic says, this is the worst fucking act ever. So I get the fuck out of my office and they're in the elevator and the dog looks up and goes, oh yeah, Hank Aaron. <laughs>
2: you see. And maybe McGuire by now, who the fuck keeps up with this stuff. It's funnier than a talking dog, man. Yeah. I ask you. <laughs> Anthropomorphism. Well, you know, we used to do it with my doggie, Sally. You remember Sally? The yeah. greatest dog that ever lived in the history of canines. He's quite a looker. She was not just a special-looking dog, but she was an incredibly smart dog. She made Lassie look like a fucking rode the short
0: bus.
2: (laughs) We we used to tell her when when the little Jesterette was uh, just an infant, we would say, "Sally, go upstairs and check on the baby." And she would run up to the top of the stairs. She would go in the bedroom. She would look over the inside of the crib, and she would come back down and like you know, (laughs) nod her head, you know. Yeah. Everything's cool. What, was it an anniversary or something? What do you mean?
4: Why are you talking about this dog?
2: I'm just saying, <laughs> she was a good old doggie. <laughs> I think about her all the time, yeah. man. She was an amazing old doggie. Yeah. She was the smartest old doggie I ever knew. Oh, that sounds like a Neil Young song she start playing. You know that line, after 20 years he still grieves? You know, I could think, man, that's true. yeah,
4: I still miss Frisbee
2: yeah Frisbee was a good old dog. You know, I rode in a car with Frisbee, like 700 miles from uh, Long Island to Maine one summer, yeah, and hung out with her all summer. She was a difficult animal, but she was very, very sweet. difficult. She was difficult Hi- she was high maintenance. You take that back: I'm not going to take it back. She was high maintenance. She was a standard poodle, which is filled with fucking anxiety and all kinds of inbred, you know. She was a nervous wreck. She was a I mean, nervous wreck.
4: Just can't say stand a poodle. You got to say she was, that he, she
2: wasn't cut like a poodle. She, was, she had long hair. Th- she was a hippie. <laughs> but she was a hippie dog without a fucking doubt.
4: Because yeah, I could not love one of those poodles. And when
2: we took her up to the fucking lake in uh, Maine, she set her chickens free. She turned into a real fucking dog for the first time I ever knew her. That All Nipsey while, was a good old doggy too. Yeah. I've known some good doggies in my yeah. time. You've got to get back to the music. It's a shame. I need to, you know, get a doggie. A lot of times in my travels, I meet doggies. I met some amazing doggies uh, the other day in the Yukon.
4: Yeah, what would you say to them?
2: You know, they were all extremely affectionate. You would think they were all like high-strung, mushing dogs, you know, and they were all business and everything, but they were all incredibly, like wildly affectionate. They were all over you. We we went up to every one of the dogs on the sled, you know, sort of like gave them like a hug and a you know and a little right. you know a, a head pat, you and know, whatever. And they were all like, wah, wah, you know, jumping all over you and you know kissing you, and it was just amazing. the 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 whole thing with dogs is they're really integral to life up there in the Arctic Circle. You just don't live without dogs. When the Jeff and I wandered off the path into some guy's fucking house in the middle of the fucking woods, this guy had a house. He came out to the driveway. Uh, yep. How you doing there? You know, he was, didn't you know, ask no questions. We pulled in with this fucking, you know, 900 horsepower monstrosity, <laughs> blasted up a fucking storm. And out came six fucking of the most gorgeous golden retrievers with him. Just running along, yipping and biting and barking and snipping and fucking rolling over each other, and it was amazing. Everybody's fucking got dogs up there. That's the way to live, man. Yep. Lot of doggies. Doggies just give you this. You're not a big doggy guy, are you?
4: I'm a big doggy guy. Are you? I just. uh, The place I just got. I'm moving into in April one. When I looked at the place, they said it allows dogs.
2: Down in Jew City, right? You're moving into a house right in the heart of the thick of the homo-Jew center of the universe. Greenwich Village. They got more than just Jews. They do?
4: More than. They
2: have African-Americans? You know what? I don't know
4: if they're American or not.
2: They Hmm, I hear what you're saying. You mean like they have Mumbaba?
4: No, it could be from Ireland or... Oh. England probably more likely
2: hmm is that true oh you missed I-, I didn't know that's what the village I thought they were mostly homos and Jews and and lawyer homo Jews and some variation of the three
6: no you know I gotta tell you, Irish black people I, was at, a- <laughs> so I, was,
2: I was at a party last week and I said you know I think that um lawyers are like assholes, and some guy from the other side of the room, got one. no, 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 he says, a uh, guy from the other side of the room, like, heard me, and he goes, you know, I really object to that, and I, I, take, <laughs> I take offense to that, and I said, are you a lawyer? He goes, no, I'm an asshole.
4: <laughs> I like the way he uses the word, object and offense, to just prove his lawyerly words.
2: Isn't that great? That's a very subtle but important part, part of the uh, story. You've been listening to the Rovings of Acclaim this Wednesday, March the 22nd, the year of our lard, 2006. It's just me, your humble host, your old pal, the jester, signing off saying, please be impeccable with your word. Speak with integrity. Don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions. And always, always do your best. It makes you feel great. We will meet in that place where darkness never comes. That's my solemn oath to you. Until that time, this. Thanks, Poe. What does have to do with
4: 1984?
2: Uh, mm, I thought it was MTV. <laughs>
4: well, really?
2: This was the first video they I played. I do
4: the thing you sign up for.
2: No. No, oh, it's a
0: secret. I think if it's I was young, it didn't yep. stop you coming. Come